challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Well, hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad to have you joining us today. It's awesome that you would take the time. Uh, today is my Alive Day. This is the fifth anniversary of my Alive Day. By the way, you've reached the collision of faith and politics, and today will most assuredly match that title. Uh, and I am Dr. Sean Greener, and I am... Uh, I am the ninja pastor, so that's that. And and we're just awesomely glad to have you with us today. Been a lot going on. It's it's a busy, busy time. There's a lot of people talking about a lot of things. Uh, but I wanna I wanna really super quickly summarize why I um, why it's my alive day. It's my alive day because exactly five years ago today at six eighteen p.m. We'll, we'll hit that benchmark. While India, I think, is speaking, we will we will hit that. India is a young lady. Uh, she is a homeschooled young lady who will blow your doors off. Super brilliant, uh, really, really super intelligent. And uh, she is going to give a speech uh, that she is competing. This is a competition. It's nine minutes, and uh, that'll be after the second hour begins. Uh, be nine minutes, and I'm telling you right now, it will rock you. You will want to stand. If you're driving, please don't do this. Uh, you're going to want to stand and give her a standing ovation. I have heard her deliver the speech, and uh, I, I felt like this young lady deserves to be heard by a, a much larger audience. And uh, so she'll be here, and it'll be fun, and you'll like it, and it'll make you proud to be an American. Now, that seems to be something that we struggle with. Now, uh, just for you people joining us now, uh, maybe you've never never been with us before. Uh, welcome. Chat is open. Thank you so much for joining us there. I do have chat throttled to only take a certain number. So uh, just because I like to be able to pay attention. I don't I don't like to, you know, I like to look over there and kind of manage the show. And until we get a, until we get a producer, uh, this is kind of how it is. I have to kind of juggle everything. So, but I don't want the folks in chat to ever be left behind. And let me tell you, chat is awesome. Uh, real quick while I'm thinking of it, we will be meeting in Newark, Delaware this Easter, uh, the Newark location. We will be meeting there at five. We're going to share an awesome Easter meal. All of us in the Kahala get together and it's it's awesome. It's really, really, really good. And I suspect with it being Easter, we're going to have some pretty amazing, amazing food. So if you're in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania or New Jersey area, you really need to come join us. Don't miss out. It is real powerful, real good food, real good people. Real relaxed. You don't have to be all stressed out. Just come as you are. Uh, then at 5.30, of course, we go live. Uh, last Sunday and the Sunday before, we had, uh, if I'm to understand these numbers, we had almost the same number of people. And that number is ever-growing. So we're, we're real pleased with that. 
If you're a regular listener uh, to this show or the Sunday show, I encourage you to go to the ninjapastor.com or drshawngreener.com and uh, click on that little uh, thing that pops up and just click on that and, and you'll be good to go. And uh, it's really kind of cool. You know, you get, you get all kinds of information. But one of the things you get is you get to see the blog post first. You get notifications of speeches if I'm in your area. Uh, I travel all over the country speaking in churches and in organizations. Uh, preaching churches and, and faux pulpits and all that stuff too. So, but the most recent blog post, I have posted photographs of the car I was in when I was uh, struck head on 92 miles per hour versus 51. I went from 51 miles per hour to zero in seven feet. And so it was a pretty incredible day. It was the beginning of many incredible days. I have to say, uh, thank you, Jerry from Pennsylvania. He was really key. Uh, happy new birthday. And uh, he, he and his wife were pivotal, pivotal, I'm telling you, by my side. And I can't thank him enough. As you guys know, Jerry and I are very, very close friends. And, and I'm just so blessed to, uh, to have friends like this. It's just absolutely amazing. So you can see the photographs of the crash. I know for a lot of people, it's very upsetting. Um, a lot of people, when they look at the photographs, they say there's no way anyone survived. And and the, the car manufacturer said the same thing when they bought the car. They cut it up. They studied the computers. The car shrunk by, I'm told, eight inches. Um, I was stuck in eight inches of space. I uh, bent the steering wheel with my mouth and a um, lot, of, lot of damage and, and all that. But the bottom line is, is, is for whatever reason, God chose for me to survive. And I will tell you this, it's not because I'm any better than anybody else, because I'm not. I'm as afflicted of a person as you'll ever meet in your life. But I will tell you this, um, something sacred hangs in the balance of every moment. So this is five years, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to the people that love me and to give me the opportunity to love them. Uh, you can look at my mug. Uh, if you go over to the blog, uh, entitled Senator Dave Lawson. You just go to the website, click on blog at the top. I think it's five from the right or six, maybe click on that and click on the, the post Senator Dawson on what really happened. And uh, the subtitle is today is my live day. You click on that. You see the first picture you see I took yesterday and uh, somebody said, looks like you have caps. Yeah, I have caps on. Uh, they had to repair 10 of my teeth. I broke 10 of my teeth and moved my jaw, changed the shape of my eyeballs, uh, hence the need for glasses. And uh, yeah, it's it a wild day, wild day. And uh, but I'm I'm just beyond thankful. But my point, I think I want to make to you today, and I, I want to drive it home, is look, you never know when it's your time. You never ever know when it's your time. And you say, well, you're a preacher. People always say stuff like that. Preachers always be talking like that. The reality of it is, no, that's not the case. I, I'm telling you, a lot of preachers now don't talk about eternity. It seems like in the postmodern Western evangelical church, there's not as much talk about that. It's a lot of talk about being happy here. And I'm telling you, uh, yes, I want you to be, I want you to be happy here. Uh, but I, I want you to understand the importance of eternity. I want you to understand the importance of eternity. And that is the most important thing. That is the most important thing. So, um, and that's that part is easy. Christ did the hard part. You know, it's it's ironic that Easter is just right around the corner, because, you know, Easter is. For a lot of people, it's a reason to eat candy. It's a it's a good excuse to, um, 
Yeah, exactly. Life is like a rowboat. We can only see behind us and only God knows what's in front of us. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is, um, man, I'll tell you what, I, I don't know what I do without my faith. Somebody says, well, you know, people that are religious faith, they're, they're weak. And that's why they, that's why they, you know, they practice their faith. Um, and, and that, that's one of those things that I, it always interests me when they say, well, you're so weak. That's why you need, that's why you need this faith because you're weak. Well, that's not the case. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty strong guy. And, and, uh, before the crash, I was strong. And after the crash, you know, I'm strong in a different way. Uh, but I just, uh, I have to say, you know, man, I, I tell you, I, I, I thank God that I know that he's with me. He's with me in that car. You say, well, what about that 17-year-old that got killed? Here's an interesting thing that after the trial, because the guy went to jail uh, for doing it, he's out of jail, been out of jail for months now, but um, uh, the, the driver went to jail, deservedly so. And Andre's dead. I mean, he's gone. But what one of the brothers, one of his brothers said as we had exited the uh, the trial or the, uh, the sentencing, he said, you know, I found it interesting. I thought of this the other day, and I found it very interesting that uh, the two believers in this crash were you and my brother. And he's in heaven. He's he's looking upon the face of Christ, and, and uh, Yeshua is probably... Uh, excited to see his face because Andre had a smile. Let me tell you what. Well, look, there's other uh, big things. I don't want to be harping on myself. Um, I'm here. Join us at the Ninja Pastor on uh, Twitter. Follow us there. Follow us on our Facebook. We have several Facebooks, uh, but the one you want to follow is uh, facebook.com backslash uh, SM Greener and at the and you want to Facebook, facebook.com backslash the ninja pastor all one word and that's where you get all the updates and all of that so it's awesome well listen there's big stuff going on uh, the state of delaware is privileged to have uh senator dave lawson representing the uh, in kent county he has a district in kent county and uh there was an incident that happened at uh legislative hall during general assembly i'm gonna let him get into the details uh but uh we want to welcome him he is a uh, military veteran, a Vietnam era veteran, and he is also a retired Delaware State Police officer and a small business owner. And now he look the guy could the guy could just you know he could rest on his laurels. He could just kick back a little bit. He deserves it. I think all of us would agree he deserves it, but he doesn't. He serves his community. He's a citizen uh, politician, and and he uh, he's gotten in the thick of it. And and we so appreciate him serving. I happen to know, in full disclosure, I happen to know Dave very very well he's a good good man and so we're gonna we are going to chat about this senator lawson thank you so much for joining us today hey dr greener how are you sir good to see you sir. awesome to i am you. awesome well the pleasure is mine so i know your time is valuable so we'll get right to it um you've served uh in vietnam then you came back you were a dollar state police officer you served an entire career with the dollar state police uh, you're a small business owner. Uh, I, I patronized your business a good bit. And um, and then I, you just didn't understand the word retirement. I have a good buddy, Jerry, has no understanding what that word means. And so he's working harder in retirement than, than he's ever worked in, in his career. So the question is, why in the world did you decide to run for senator in the state of Delaware? 
Well, I had no interest in politics. I went to see a seated senator at the time uh, on an issue that was very near and dear to me. And I essentially was told, let them find their own way and was ushered out of the office more than once. And I was talking to my wife and talking to a mentor. And he said, well, Dave, change it. I said, what do you mean change it? He said, run or be quiet. And I can't be quiet. quiet, If you could speak up or put your mouth closer to the thing, to the uh, microphone, that'd be great because folks are struggling to hear you. All right. Is that better? Yes, much better. All right. So anyway, my wife and I prayed about it, argued about it, prayed about it some more, and decided to run, and the rest is history. Now, let me ask you, when you when you ran for Senate, did some magical thing happen uh, where suddenly you had all the knowledge of the world and you, uh, you were able to, um, without even thinking about it, you were able to know things that previously as a private citizen and as a state police officer and as a businessman that suddenly you knew everything it just just this magical amazing knowledge just popped into your head when you walked into the legislative hall in delaware and over delaware did that happen no i felt like a dog that chased the car and caught it <laughs> well you know what that's the thing i mean that's the crazy thing about what we think about politicians is we think now there are some folks that um they will they will become politicians because they've always wanted to be a politician and that's they've gone to school. They've always wanted to be that. And uh, that is their destiny in in their opinion. So they prepare themselves for that. And really and truly that, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything at all wrong with that. Nothing at all wrong with that. It is, it is an honorable profession if you're honorable in performing the profession. So you go and you do that uh, in in the district in which you live and so take us to the day uh, that everybody, I, I've done, I don't know how many interviews now all across the country, uh, in Washington uh, State, California, uh, ultra-liberal outlets, you name it. Uh, and we've, we've been on them, and we've taken calls and debates and all that stuff. But here you are, you, you and the local, uh, from the local standpoint, you're getting inundated uh, with interviews and, you know, people calling in. Tell us what happened. Take us through your your, your right before you go in to uh, you know the, the legislative hall, and you're you're there, and it's normal day. Everything is normal. And take us from where it it uh, it's normal, then it stops being normal. Tell us what happened. Well, every day when we start, we say a prayer and a pledge, and it's recently it's been offered by uh, clergy from from the state. Various folks have come in and and offered the prayer at the request of the Lieutenant Governor, Bethany Hall Long. And the fifth was no different. We came in, took our places, and as we were preparing for the prayer, the opening prayer, she said, today's prayer will be a reading from the Quran. Well, prior to that, I, I saw cameras being set up and and an imam, and I had no idea that he was taking part in the service. With that, he approached, almost instantly approached the podium, and with that, I could not stay, and I walked out. Hmm. Now, now, uh, did you make a big fuss when you walked out? Was it a big deal? Did you jump up and down, beat any drums, maybe some pots or pans that might have been nearby? 
um, set off any no, fireworks I, I, or anything? I didn't come equipped with that, so no, I, I had no oh, intentions of doing cool. that. I simply walked out, and lo and behold, Senator Benini was right behind me. I didn't even know he was coming. There was no time to discuss it. It was, bam, instantly, and it was a reaction. Uh, knowing enough about the Quran, I did not feel that that's where this assembly should be going. Right, 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 right. So, so you go out, uh, you and you and Senator Bernini, uh, you didn't, and I don't know him personally, so I, I can't speak to his and, you know, any of his motives or intention. Uh, but, but, you know, there, suffice it to say, we can, we can clarify right here on uh, the Collision of Faith and Politics, 1.4 million people listening. We can, uh, we can absolutely guarantee that you and Colin Benini did not have some prearranged plan. Listen, what's going to happen today is the uh, the Lieutenant Governor, Bethany Holong, is going to invite in Muslims to pray, an imam, and we're going to walk out. Let's make a big deal out of it. Let's stomp out, and uh, let's go out, and let's, let, then we'll make a speech. So that didn't happen, correct? That's correct. We had no idea. We That information was not shared with us until... As I said, she stood up and made the statement. Uh, there was no collusion. There was nothing. I had no intentions of making fanfare out of it in any way, shape, or form. That's not really my style. And uh, I, I walked out. Mm -hmm. And so you walked out. How long did the prayer last? Uh, it was a couple of minutes from when, when I seen the video uh, that they put on uh, YouTube, I guess. Uh, it wasn't all that long. It might have been four minutes or less. Wow. So, so then once once you walked out, uh, what happened then? You, you know, you, do you can you hear the prayer um, ending? I mean, was it a prayer you could hear? No. When you're out in the hallway, you can't hear what's going on in in the chamber. Okay. Awesome. So you go back in. And once you go back in, what do you do? Uh, I stood to be recognized. And when you know, they were wrapping up their camera gear, and the pledge had been said, and I simply stood and expressed my concern over them being in the chamber and reading from the Quran, which calls for our societal demise. And I said, our demise in our house. And when I said our house, I meant the people's house, not my house. A lot of people are misinterpreting that. Right. Okay. So, so then, so then once you said, said that, what happened after that? Did, was there, were there any other uh, Republican leaders, GOP leaders, were they right there ready to help you, ready to stand by you? Uh, you know, what, what happened at that point? Did you see people kind of gathering around you saying, yeah, you know, it's his, it's his right. He doesn't have to listen to a, a Muslim prayer. He, it's his First Amendment right to have to have a belief or a, a, an opinion as it relates to uh, uh, the, the tenets of Islam being um, promoted here on the floor of the General Assembly. Did any, did any of that happen? Like, what, what happened next with your colleagues? Well, uh, there was nothing really. We went right on into business. Hmm. So there wasn't a, a huge brouhaha then. Not at all. Hmm. So Not when did all. things start picking up? When did 
when did things start picking up after this happened? Like what the, what were the steps? Because here's the thing, if you, if, if, if you're to listen to, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you know, you need to understand that Dave Lawson is a very humble man. He, uh, like I say, I know him personally, I've known him for years. He's a good, intensely good hearted man. Uh, whenever you see Dave, he most of the time has a big smile on his face. It's not one of those fake smiles. It's a real smile because he's a happy guy. And so Dave, is not a person that seeks attention. He doesn't go running around seeking attention. So, you know, and you say, well, yeah, but he's a politician. But listen, you know, you understand there's two different types of politicians. There's the ones that really, truly want to serve. They want to serve the people. They want to make sure that, that uh, good people are represented uh, in the governing bodies and somebody's got to do the job. And so he steps up to the plate and slings and arrows start falling. So at what point did this thing break loose and, and start to grow a life of its own? Well, when Dr. Bakar came back to pick up his camera, he turned to me and said, you know, we'd like to talk about this. And would I like to talk about it? And I said, absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. I, I believe that knowledge is power. And that was about it. It was a short exchange. And an hour plus later, Senator McBride gets up and reads a prepared statement uh, of his being offended. That word okay, so, so so hold on, hold on, Dave. Hold on, Dave. Folks, if you're driving down the road or you're flying on an airplane or riding on a train anywhere in this world, I know we have uh, 19 countries right now listening. If you're riding around, I want you to understand what Senator Lawson just said. So he spoke to the guy who gave the air quotes prayer, the Muslim prayer, uh, very kindly, not in any way disrespectful or, or judgy and nothing like that. He had a very brief but very respectful exchange. And then Senator McBride stands up and he already has a prepared statement. Now, Senator an McBride. Later, over an hour later. Over an hour later. Over so, an hour so, later, yes. So instead of doing the people's business, what he's doing is politics and pandering. So he he and his colleagues get together and they say, hey, we got to deal with this. This is a chance for us to gain some steam here with the uh, with the Muslim and the ultra left lobby. So let's draft a statement. So then what happens once he goes to make this statement? Well, he read the statement in length and then repair, repeated the prayer in English. Uh, and at that point, I had no idea. Well, he repeated saying, something in English. He, he repeated something in English. He, he said something in English. Yeah. Claimed to be the prayer. And now, uh, now folks, put a pin, put a pin in that. Yeah, Senator, put a pin in that because I want to connect. I want to connect the dots here. I want to tether this because uh, this audience has heard me speak of Extortion 17 many, many times. Extortion 17 was the call sign of the helo that was shot down. Largest single uh, loss, single day loss of United States Navy SEALs. And it was the gold team of DevGrew. And that's who was shot down, as well as others attached to DevGrew and, and some uh, the Army SOAR team. Or I don't even think it was the SOAR team. I think, actually, the pilot was a reserve pilot. And their normal flight ops didn't happen. There's a bunch of crazy things that happened. And uh, I've done whole shows on it. If you go to the ninjapastor.com, click on blog, you'll find it there. Uh, just search Extortion 17, and you'll find it. Suffice it to say, there was a ramp ceremony. And the ramp ceremony over there uh, is a, a very respectful time. Well, I believe it was Admiral McRaven, who himself uh, is a SEAL. And Admiral McRaven uh, invited, for some unknown reason, uh, 
he invited, oh, I know why, because he wanted to win the hearts and minds of the enemy and the Afghan people. He invited an imam to speak. Now, this is an Afghan imam, not an imam he carried over uh, from the United States. Didn't know the guy, didn't know how the guy would be. So this imam is there, and the guy prays, and he prays uh, in his own language. It is not interpreted. There was no one there uh, interpreting uh, and or translating. And what ends up happening is everybody just kind of bowed their heads. They didn't really know what to do. Uh, several of the parents were there. They, they're in a foreign land. They've just lost their child. Uh, these other seals are standing there. They're in stunned disbelief. And the guy prays a prayer. Well, it turns out once we had the, and I talked about this when I had Karen and Billy Vaughn on. Uh, Billy wrote the great book, Betrayed. And he's actually about to release another book right now. And in that book, Betrayed, he talked about uh, once we had the uh, what the guy said translated, it was nothing like a prayer. In fact, he was damning the infidel to hell, them and their progeny, their family, everyone in their circle and the people in America damned to hell. Well, you can imagine how the parents felt when the United States Special uh, Naval Special Warfare and, and JSOC, uh, Joint Special Operation Command, actually allowed this man to speak. Now, they didn't have anybody there to vet the guy. They just let the guy speak. So they let the guy speak, and he curses. He curses the dead soldiers, flag-draped coffins. He curses them, and then he curses their families in America. Now, so what Senator Dave Lawson is saying is this man stood up. Now, look, I'm not impugning who he is or what he is. Um, I wasn't there. We are awaiting an official recording. Uh, once we receive that official recording, we are going to have it professionally translated just to know for sure what he said, just to match what he said uh, to um, what was actually said, what he said he said and what he actually said. So we're working on that and we will let you know. We'll follow up and let you know on that. So Senator Lawson, so at that point, you know, he stands up and gives a statement. Senator McBride gives a statement. What does Senator, in, in essence, what does he say? Well, he chastises me for exercising my uh, First Amendment rights. Hmm. My ability to stand there and, and voice my objection to what happened. And he hmm. started out with words have consequences. And it went there that he seldom ever chastises or takes exception to a fellow senator's comments, but he felt he had to this time an hour plus later. Hmm. Hmm. Now, do we think, we have a pretty astute audience here, do we think, audience, that perhaps, just maybe, just maybe, uh, Lieutenant Governor Bethany Hall Long, who invited the man to come speak or come pray, and perhaps the, the Democrat leadership, the state of Delaware, I don't know if you guys know, is extremely blue, and do we kind of think at this point that this was maybe a little bit of a setup? But they didn't think that anybody would have uh, the the temerity to stand up and say, oh, no, this won't stand in my house, not in the people's house. What do you think, Dave? Do you think there's any way in the world that maybe they knew this was coming and had been prepared for either way? Maybe you're quiet. Maybe you sit back on your laurels. You let the man pray and, you know, you're going about the people's business. Or maybe you stand up and say, hey, no, 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 hold on, hold on. what are we doing here? Or maybe you peacefully walk out and you come back in, you make a brief statement, 
And they're prepared, it seemed like, for every eventuality well in advance. Well, I don't think they were. I think they were kind of flat-footed because uh, we, the minority party, are seldom conferred with on anything that goes on. Right. And uh, so I doubt greatly that there was any any preparation for my statement or my reaction, for that matter. But there was a lot of sidebar chatting going on with uh, Senator McBride's staff and uh, instructions obviously being given to his staff by him to prepare some remarks that would, Im- would imply that he was you know, offended by my statements. Sure, and our sure, guests sure. were badly treated. And our guests were badly treated. Really. Well, I don't see that as badly treated. I mean, you had a you had a verbal, uh, a verbal, uh, very brief chat. But I don't was that between you and the uh, the doctor, the Muslim doctor? Was was that in any way contentious? Not at all. Not at all. Uh, it was so. Uh, so who's embarrassed on who? both sides? Well, I, I, so. I, so that's what I'm struggling with. So, so what aspect, what aspect of what you said to and what you did uh, as it relates to the prayer and after the prayer when you spoke to the doctor, the, the Muslim doctor, what aspect of that in any way could be um, interpreted as disrespectful to the guests? Well, I didn't confront them, I said that the Quran speaks of our demise. I didn't say they did. I didn't accuse them of anything. There was no accusation right. or any confrontation with them. Uh, the Imam and, and Dr. Uh, Bakar, there was no confrontation at all. He said he won, when he came back, we very quietly conversed and very respectfully conversed. Yeah. So there was no, yeah, no outburst at all. Nothing. Except so all this you would cry... So all this hue and cry on social media and radio and television, um, you know, d- describing this as a uh, disrespectful act. And, 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 and I'll just tell you, you know, I've done a ton of interviews since this, this occurred. And I, and I can tell you that uh, when they allowed people to call in, you'd have a lot of people calling in. And first of all, they would impugn uh, the level of education. Uh, some would, would actually say, that well, this guy is in, has been in Vietnam, you know, he's old, he doesn't, um, you know, he doesn't probably doesn't even know what he's talking about, he's probably not very well educated. And so, when I was on and, and they would allow callers, I, I would point to that when they'd say that, I'd, I'd respond. And sometimes it would even be uh, there's a particular radio station in the state of Delaware, the regular host was out the day I was on, but then the next, uh, the next time she talked about this. She was in and she said, well, you know, you have to question the level of intelligence uh, and education, the level of education in people who don't understand that Islam is not the enemy. And, and what is interesting to me, and I've, and I've repeated this uh, many, many times in, in, in every interview that I can, and in every speech I give across the country, I, I explain people, if, if I'm there to speak of Islam, obviously I, I talk about a lot of different things, but Islam is, is one of uh, one of my areas of expertise. I'm a subject, subject matter expert. So when I'm talking about that, I explain to people, look, you need to understand. Um, this isn't an education thing. It's a lack of education thing. And the lack of education is not on the part of the people standing up and waving their arms saying, whoa, 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 slow down, slam dancer. We can't be inviting Islam into our country. It's incompatible. 
the Quran absolutely contradicts the United States Constitution, and therefore anyone who swears an oath to the United States Constitution is committing taqiyah. Now we talk about lack of education. I've read the Quran uh, in, a, in a scholarly way four times. I'm working on my fifth time through. I've studied Islam for over 30 years, three decades. Uh, I've studied it nose to nose with Muslims in their own countries and here and other places in the world. I've studied it at high academic institutions. I have a doctorate in theology. Islam was one of the religions that I chose to study intensely. So I think it's probably pretty fair to say, I've got a doctorate degree. I've been studying it for over three decades. I'm probably not the one you wanna say is not very well educated. Now, am I a country boy? You better believe I am. But country boys are some of the smartest folks you'll ever run across. That's a whole different show. But they impugned your intelligence as well and your level of education by saying, hey, this guy, you know, he just stands up and says, spouts off, says whatever he thinks comes across his mouth because he's he's a bigot and he's a misogynist and he's a racist and he's all these things. When in reality, you're none of those things. Now, there was a, I want to ask you about this because there it appears to me that the news outlets were not trying to get the truth out. They were trying to drive a narrative. And so when they came to you and asked you to be on the different radio shows, uh, what did they tell you were going to be on for? You know, what, what was the purpose? You're talking to me? Yes. All right. Well, I just did a couple interviews, one with WBOC and one with uh, WHYY, and, and that was about it. I didn't do it. Right. And so, so they, flipped, uh, they flipped those interviews and used those interviews to uh, using sound bites and things of that nature. Now, on uh, there was a radio station in the state of Delaware. I'm not going to give them publicity. There's a radio station on uh, in the state of Delaware. The host on there, um, she was she's the one saying, you know, hey, this guy's not very intelligent. Uh, he clearly is a bigot. Um, I don't believe him when he said that he was representing because this is this is what she said. She said, look, he said that he was standing up for his constituents because the majority of his constituents, they uh, they believe, uh, you know, what he believed. And so he's representing them. He's being a fair and good representative of his uh, district. And um, I didn't get a chance to be interviewed on that particular radio station that particular day. I would have loved to. Uh, but But is there any truth to that? Is there any truth to that that's the statement you made initially in one of these interviews. And, um, you know, did you, is that what you said during the course of the interview? Well, there was a reporter that wanted to interview me for that radio or for that radio station and for that show. I and when I, when I tried to talk with him, he became argumentative. Right. And I was trying to answer his questions and he didn't like the answers. So he got, nasty and I asked him if this was a, a debate, an argument, or an interview. And he said, you're not answering my questions. And I said, sir, this interview is over. Yeah. And, uh, because I you have cojones. You're not, some, you're not a snowflake. Yeah, you're you're going to stand up for yourself and, and uh, represent for yourself. You're going to advocate for I, yourself. That's the right way to do it. Be, be cornered by someone who already had a, an agenda. And they, uh, he sure. obviously had an agenda. And it was carried on apparently by the host. I've oh, interviewed absolutely. her many times on many, many subjects. 
and and she knows better than her statements. Yeah. So so then, um, you know, I, I, I there was many callers that called in, but there was one in particular that I want to address some of the things that he said. Now, he said he's a Muslim. He's a business owner. He has about 300 employees. And he made the statement on the radio and, and she made the statement that you were confronted by this statement that he made uh, that he said, look, I know Dave Lawson. Um, he you know, I uh, I've given him money for his campaign. And I'm a Muslim. I'm your neighbor. I'm the businessman. I'm the guy who employs all these people. I'm the guy who, you know, was on the board of this and that. And I, I do all these things. I'm good. I'm, we are your police officers. Muslims are your uh, military people. But yeah, I, you know, I considered him a friend, and I was really, uh, I was really disappointed. I was really surprised. I, I was confused when he made that statement because that's not the Dave that I know. And look. I'm saying this because I gave money to the guy's campaign. And then there they said that you were asked about that and that you were tongue-tied um, about, you know, well, okay, what do you say to this? This guy gives you money. I said he did. How is that being tongue-tied? Yeah, I don't understand how that's being tongue-tied either. But for the folks that are listening here, now listen, you know, this is this is where we get to the rubber meets the road type of situation. First of all, here's a guy, he's serving. I don't know if you guys know what Delaware pays its senators, uh, its state senators, but it ain't much. He, you know, he's not he's not rolling up in a Maybach. So, um, you know, he's he's a humble servant. And the fact of the matter is, is you shove a microphone in the guy's face and you say, ah, yeah, well, this guy says that he gave money to your campaign. So, so I want to address that really briefly. I'm going to address the whole I gave money to your campaign so we're friends now. That's like saying, I'm not a racist, I have black friends. That's like saying, I'm not a homophobe, I'm related to some gay people. Um, it, it, it's, it's tantamount to saying those things, which are just as stupid as anything else. But that ties in, Senator Lawson, that ties into the next uh, thing, which is very, very important, is that host then made the statement, and it's been made all across the country, you know, you do understand that the vast majority of Muslims, if you were an educated person and you didn't believe the ultra right wing extremist Christian hype against Muslims, you know, Muslims are the new Jews. If you didn't believe that, then you would know that there are exponentially more good Muslims than there are bad Muslims. And, and, and when I was interviewed on the West Coast, um, I, I said exactly this. I'm so glad you said that. Boy, is it my lucky day and your audience's lucky day. Why? Because I'm the least qualified. I'm super qualified to talk about a lot of things, but I am the least qualified to talk about math. But even I, with my basic Sussex County level mathematics, can tell you this is a math problem. And why it's a math problem is this and this alone. If, in fact, the vast majority of Muslims, and there's over well over one and a half billion Muslims in the world, if, in fact, only a tiny percentage, maybe 1%, are Muslims that are radical, that they are, air quotes, misinterpreting the Quran, if, in fact, now, you need to know, 
I have read the Quran more than 97% of Muslims worldwide. You say, we don't. That, no, this is their holy book. 97% of Muslims worldwide have never read the Quran. Why? Because their illiteracy rate is the highest in the world. And they don't want them to read the Quran. They want these imams, want them to know what it says based on here's what it says because I told you so. Now, all that said to say this, let's gather up the peaceful Muslims who are very outspoken about the uh, about you know uh, these terrible extremists, and let's gather you guys up, and let's say we only take maybe I don't know ten percent, maybe ten percent of you peaceful peaceful people, uh, which they're always saying that you know hey uh, Islam means peace, uh, which is not true. It it, it um, they say that, uh, that many Muslim apologists claim that the root word of Islam is asala'am, which is peace in Arabic, but that's not true. Uh, an Arabic word has only one root. Uh, al-silim, which means submission or surrender, is the actual root. Asalam is peace. So it's just flat out a lie, and, and we know that from their own book. The point of all that is this. Okay, so we go back to the math thing, and we'll just use a, a blackboard, the old blackboard. Nowadays, you know, nobody uses a blackboard with some chalk. I think there's because the chalk is white, the blackboard is black, and then there we got a big racial thing, uh, white privilege going on. So so we'll use, I don't know, whatever kind of thing. We'll write in crayon on the road, and uh, and and so, you know, we're going to do that, and, and we're going to say these things um, – we're going to pick 10%. So 10% of the 1.5 billion people, let's call it 1.5. So 10% of that, that's a whole lot of numbers. That's a whole lot of zeros. And then we're going to say that 1% of all of Islam. So we've got 10% of Islam, and then we've got this little tiny 1% of Islam, the majority of whom do not speak or read Arabic. They can't even read their own holy book. They have to have someone read it to them and tell them what it means. So this number, this 10% of the 1.5 billion, my math question today is why? Why in the world don't we teach that 10%, the 10% to, well, we'll arm them, we'll train them, and if they are so incensed by these mean people who, who are uh, sullying and soiling their very peaceful religion, why don't they fight them? Why don't they fight them? So so we've got this guy coming on, and, and the, the radio host says, you know, you sound like a very reasonable guy. He says, I am. Trust me on this. I am. You know, I'm normal. I come here 30 years ago. Uh, I come to Dover. I am peaceful. I employ lots of people. There's people from 16 countries that work for me. Uh, you know, all these different things. And he said, I, I invite uh, Senator Lawson to my mosque. I will go with him. Same thing that the, uh, the doctor said, the one that, that, that read the air quotes prayer. He said, you know, I, I've offered it to him and, and he hasn't taken, he hasn't taken me up on that. In fact, he hasn't communicated with me on that. Can you address that? Can you address that? He, the, the guy who delivered the air quotes prayer uh, said that, you know, he has invited you to his mosque, uh, he's invited you to a dialogue, 
that he wants to work it out, that he sees this as a great opportunity for people to understand the truth about the peaceful religion, which is not a peaceful religion. It's, it is a religious, political, and military ideology, not at all a religion. Um, so did he invite you to his mosque, and how did you respond to that? I have gotten uh, invitations there, but I'm not prepared at this point in time of other obligations. And plus, I need to, uh, I sit here with the Quran in front of me right now. I've been studying all day and looking and seeing what's going on so I can ask intelligent questions. Why would I walk in there ill-equipped? doesn't make right. any sense. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. We want to be prepared. Uh, when we go in, we want to be educated. So they never invite me to their mosques. They never invite me. Um, I do happen to have some Muslim friends who I know are uh, Muslim by birth and only by birth. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is, is uh, it, it would be ill-advised for you to go, uh, especially, especially without a camera crew recording what's going on, uh, what's being said, what's, you know, because a lot of times what's being said and what's being reported to entirely different things. Because if you listen to the reports, uh, the, the news reports, you stomped out of there like a three-year-old having a tantrum in the grocery store, and you commenced to pulling down milk off the aisles and cereal boxes and stomping <laughs> on the cereal boxes and then coming back in and, and screaming and yelling. And if I'm hearing you right, and if our audience is hearing you correctly, that's not what happened. So then they say, they say that they, that when you came back in, you made a scene with the, with the guest and he was disrespected. We now know that didn't happen. As with many, many things, just like this United Airlines situation, the truth is starting to come out now that this, this is not remotely what was put out. What makes me mad is the press, even what's considered to be fair and balanced press, only put out enough of the video or only enough of the sound bites, the part that sounds bad, the part that makes the part that sounds bad not bad. They wait until well down the road. Hey, we can get a lot of stories out of this. We can be on the front page. We can uh, we can get retweeted. So that's exactly what I believe has happened here in the um, in in the legislative hall of the state of Delaware. Now, have you had any opportunity to speak to uh, Lieutenant Governor Bethany Hall Long? about this yes thursday after session she came to me and apologized she felt she didn't uh, handle it very well and she wanted to put this behind us and move on and i totally agree so now you're gonna have to slow down slam dancer i'm confused here because how come i haven't heard that in the news i haven't heard anything about know. bethany hall long the lieutenant governor uh you know what she actually went to senator dave lawson and apologized not the other way around. Well, I would think that would be that would be huge news. My goodness, I I would just be ecstatic to hear that. But in fact, I didn't hear that, and th there's something really, really wrong with that. I wasn't about to go out and, and inflame the situation anymore. She is the leader of the Senate, and it's that's what you know. She came, and and I felt it was heartfelt, and I yeah. was fine with it, and and that for me was sufficient. Sure. Sure. Recent studies show that roughly one third of Muslims in the United States would prefer to live under Sharia than our Constitution. Now, the reason I made that statement is because you recently uh, put up a bill to uh, ban Sharia in the state of Delaware, which I fully and completely support. Uh, there's no place for Sharia law here in the United States. 
if they want Sharia, they want to live under Sharia, then they move to a Muslim country. Uh, that's but that it doesn't just makes single sense. out. It doesn't single out Sharia. It says American laws for American courts. It mm -hmm. would, if passed, would outlaw any foreign uh, law coming in and inter interfering with our judicial system. Uh, whether the combatants were of the same religion or not. This is happening across our United States. I've got documented cases, 146 of them, where Sharia law was the, term, the determining law for the outcome of the case. Right. Well, I'm confused here because if you're listening to the press, the press says that you're just all about bashing Islam and that you put this oh uh, Now, I said it. I know I know what it's entitled because you've shared it with me and I've I've read pieces of it. So I knew that it wasn't that. So in full disclosure, I want the audience to understand. I knew it wasn't that. But the fact of the matter is, it's not being reported that way, just like President Trump's uh, ban on Muslims. You know, they keep saying this, and there's nowhere in any of the uh, the verbiage of the bill or the executive order that talks about banning Muslims. But what we do know is that there is a huge, huge uh, proportion of the people who are coming into this country uh, under the cloak of, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, refugees and they're immigrating to the United States. And, and all of these things that this is, oh, these poor people, we've got to be Christian. It's funny that the, the left never wants us to be Christian until it comes to something they want. And then they'll pervert the gospel to achieve their means. Now, I want to address something really, really quickly because I feel like uh, I've had a lot of people ask me about it. And, and I want to know uh, where you stand with it. But And that is this. They say there's one camp that says, hey, look, you know how you solve this? You don't have prayer. Because we've got, the Constitution says we've got separation of church and state. We've got separation of church and state. So it's all over the Constitution. I think it's even written in red. I think it's written in red, probably even. And so we've got that. We're not even allowed to have, we're not allowed to have any kind of uh, religion in there. So they're violating the law, the Constitution. So let's get that out of there and problem solved. What do you say to that? What do I say to that? Uh, well, first yes. of all, they misunderstand the, the separation of church and state, uh, the way it was meant and the way it was done. That is totally confusing. And furthermore, to try and do away with prayer in this country, it's just pushing God further away. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is, is if folks study history just as hard as I've studied um, Islam, I've also studied American history and our founders. And what I find is... It's very interesting to me, uh, and, and, and it cracks me up because I hear these people talk about, and they pride themselves on how learned they are, and yet they do all this talking about what's in the Constitution, and in fact, number one, they don't like the Constitution. They, they impugn the value of the Constitution. The Constitution, as far as they are concerned, is uh, an outdated document written by a bunch of slave owners. Um, and, and so, you know, half the time they're talking bad about the constitution to start with, but then all of a sudden they want to quote something that's not in the constitution. The, uh, the, uh, the Baptist association, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, Concord Baptist association. No, it's not that, um, oh, I can't remember. They, so this Baptist association sends a letter to president, 
Jefferson and says, hey, you know, we don't want to be forced into the Anglican or any other faith. We want to be able, you're working on this document you're working on. We don't want any that. And so in, in the letter, the Danbury Baptist, Danbury, Connecticut, he writes back and he says, hey, there's not going to be any forced religion. In fact, there will be a separation of church and state. So you will not be forced to, to assume a religion that the state dictates upon you or forces upon you. You'll be able to serve how you want to serve. But that doesn't uh, undermine or erase true and real history, which is we are a Judeo-Christian organization. This country of uh, the United States of America were founded on biblical principles. And so in the underpinnings, the utter foundation and cornerstone of our country, whether people want to erase it or not, the fact is, is the prayers that we have, that we should be having, from the floors of our general assemblies all across the country and in Washington, D.C., are prayers of the founding fathers' faith, what they built in. Uh, this this inviting Islam in it is just pandering, which I don't understand. I, I've never understood this. I've studied this for many years, and I still don't understand it. Why in the world do people uh, so vigorously support a religious, political, and, and military ideology that wants to kill them, doesn't might maybe want to kill them. The LGBT community, it never ceases to amaze me. They are constantly uh, locking arms with Muslims and saying, hey, we're your brother, I support Islam. Uh, it, it makes no sense to me other than to say when they claim their high level of uh, intelligence and education, what they really mean is they watch a lot of television news because they're not remotely accurate. And the and the the religious, political, and military ideology of Islam banks on that. They bank on weak, need Christians and pastors who will not stand up and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, slow down here. We're not having this in our country because they want to kill. They don't want to kill Christians. They are killing Christians. They don't want to kill Jews. They are killing Jews all around the world." So then the next big statement comes on. Well, uh, Dr. Greener, Senator Lawson, this is where you're wrong because more Muslims are killed in terror attacks than any other people, any other people. And I always answer it this way, which is true. When a Muslim dies, whether they knew there was a bomb on the bus or whether the lorry driving down the road, the beer truck driving down the road was going to drive up on the sidewalk and run them over, whether they knew the person walking beside them uh, had a backpack full of a pressure cooker with a bomb in it, whether they knew that or not, if they are Muslim, they are part of jihad. And even they were totally ignorant of, of the event, they are a Muslim killed in jihad, which means they are elevated by their faith to be uh, a jihadist. So they have a higher level of paradise. And um, it, it comes down, it, it really comes down to this, that that it, it is a function of Islam that they are not called innocent when you die in the um, in 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 a, in a jihad attack. When you die in that attack, even though you knew nothing about it, you are uh, you are uh, a uh, a jihadist. You you're part of the struggle. You you are fighting with us. Now the problem comes in when people say the following statement, and it's been said about you. Um, uh, I on many of the interviews I was in, they said it, and I corrected them immediately. Whether it was a caller or the host, and 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 this is the thing: 
well, you know, he ought to get out of his redneck part of town or part of that little state of Delaware, the little Kent County. He ought to get out of that redneck place, climb out of the church pew once in a while and go meet some actual Muslims because it sounds to me like he's ignorant and he doesn't know anything about Muslims. You know, I just have to say, Senator Lawson, you know, first of all, I thought they're the tolerant ones and they're saying you're intolerant. Yet they're the ones saying that you're the ignorant one, the uneducated ignorant one, and you don't ever leave your house except to go to church and, and go to the legislative hall where you're going to stomp out when something doesn't go, go your way. Well, it's okay for them to sit back and take shots at people they don't know, but they don't like it whenever people take shots at them or, or bring the truth. You know, our, our society today is not prepared for the truth. To quote a movie right. say, statement, you can't handle the truth. Right. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so they're not prepared for that. And I always, uh, I always just, you know, I try to educate them and, and just try to work through and let them see that, look, you know, in, a, in the United States of America, you know, uh, we, we always hear about jihad. Well, jihad uh, doesn't mean, I heard this, one of the Muslims that was being interviewed says, you know, people are constantly talking, people who know nothing about Islam say jihad uh means something other than what it means it just means inner struggle it means you know striving for perfection and peaceful uh peaceful perfection and and to do that and and so it's it doesn't have anything to do with war now uh in arabic the truth of the matter is in arabic jihad means struggle uh and and that within the tenets of the religious political and military ideology of islam means holy war this is just a fact. This is not me making this up. This is a fact according to their own documents, their own sacred documents. The Quran specifically exempts the disabled and elderly from jihad. Surah 495. Uh, they would, it would make any sense if the word's being used uh, within the context of a spiritual struggle. Why, w- why would the disabled and the elderly be uh, precluded from it? And, uh, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, is, is throughout the Quran, smiting fingers and heads from the hands and necks of unbelievers or infidel, that's me, if, if he were merely speaking of character development, why would that be the case? And, and so that brings me to the next step of, um, for me personally, I, and I like to say, I travel around this country teaching about this. For me, it's never going to put me in a positive light when I stand up and say, oh, hold on a second. How about some truth here? How about what it really means? what Islam really means, what the Quran really means, and what it means to us. Now, all of that big thing to say this, they said, you know, I think that uh, that Senator Dave Lawson ought to take us up on our offer to invite him to come to our mosque. You've already said, rightly so, hey, I'm, I'm not going in there until I study up a little bit, till I prepare. Um, I, I, I'll give an example of what I would perhaps say. I would say, tell you what, let's do. I'll come to your mosque in Delaware when I can go and do the same thing in a mosque in Saudi Arabia, your, what's considered the, pardon the pun, Mecca of your faith. When I can go in to your mosque and talk about Christ without being killed, I'll come to your mosque here in Delaware. John, you know, it's funny you say that because I said that to uh, Masur Awad in, a, in an exchange of text messages. I said, you know, I would not be allowed to go into your state building or any other uh, mosque or anything else and read from my Bible, pray to my God in a foreign language. 
I would not be allowed. Right. He said, oh, 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 well, this isn't uh, Jordan. We're in America. I said, whoa, okay. So you agree then that I couldn't do that. I mean, apparently by his statement, he agrees that, that I wouldn't be allowed to do that in their home country. So that's already been clarified by the man that was being interviewed uh, by that show that you mentioned earlier. Right. Right. So so now we know there's there's an intense double standard. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, is, look, um, the, when the infidel enters the mosque, uh, you have immediately dirtied the mosque, according to Islam, the religious, political and military ideology of Islam. You've soiled that. So there's a whole process that they do in order to um, in, in order to cleanse it there's some things that they have to do and it's pretty elaborate it's it's a real elaborate thing and um and then i have a, a thousand examples and i know that you're on your way somewhere so i, I don't want to keep you any longer than than uh would inconvenience you but what what i want to ask you is this is what's next for you um because i don't think this is dying off in the state of delaware and frankly i don't think it's dying off anywhere in the united states but I want to preface uh, my question to you with, there are many statements that, uh, and, and your bill obviously is not an anti-Sharia bill, but it is a it is an American law only uh, bill, which I like. And quite frankly, I don't understand why that's so hard for people to grasp. I mean, come on now. Well, why wouldn't it be? This is our country. If we don't have laws, we don't have borders. If we aren't sovereign, we don't have a country. We don't have a country well, that if, we, was, if we can't. That bill was introduced last year, and it was killed in committee by uh, Senator Henry and Senator Blevins. So, this so that's just uh, you know, something that's going on today with this fight. That isn't it. It has nothing to do with it. It was introduced last year and, and got nowhere. It was killed in committee. Never got the light to see the light of day. I'm going to reintroduce it. And it has nothing to do with it's an ongoing fight, and I'm... Um, uh, Islamophobe or anything else. Uh, the the people that like to hurl those names should look in the mirror. Well, and you know, uh, Sharia has no place. Uh, I'll just say it straight out because I don't I don't have this is you know my name's on the show and I'll stand by anything I say. Uh, Sharia has no place anywhere outside of a one hundred percent Muslim country. And make no mistake about it, the Muslims that are driving this discussion, no matter how nice they appear, remember there's something called takia which is lying for the advancement of Islam. And um, there, the, 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 there has been a, a great number of people who have said, look, religious freedom, all religions, we welcome all religions, but that's not how it works because this religion of um, the religious, political, and military ideology of Islam, they don't seek to coexist with anyone. They seek to dominate, to completely, uh, to completely overwhelm the enemy. Not just their their Quran, but the Umdad al-Salik, which is the reliance of the traveler. Um, that's a, a much longer document, but it's by Muslims, how to be Muslim for Muslims. It, it explains in great detail every aspect of the of the uh, Quran. So they they are not remotely tolerant of any other religion. I think um, it, it it always surprises me that people don't study history because whenever Islam 
has uh, entered into a country, even when they're invited in as air quotes refugees, they seek to take over. Once they get a large enough number, it becomes a military ideology. Their own book in Surah 109 in the Quran says, uh, to you, your religion, to me, mine. Uh, they, uh, religious minorities, they, they've, um, a lot of times they will say, well, I don't seek to do any harm to Islam. Uh, we, you know, we, you know, we're just peaceful people. And, and the myth, the taqiyah of Islam is, hey, religious minorities, we've gotten along great with them. We've protected them. Listen, we're our own Quran tells us to protect Jews and Christians and to do no harm to them. And, and in fact, you know, hey, Surah 109, the Quran says, to you, your religion, to me, mine. But but that's a total and complete lie. Everywhere they've gone and they've uh, achieved any level of dominance, which starts between 6 and 9% of the population, when they get to 13%, they are absolutely in control. Um, they will dwindle to shadows, dwindle to shadows because, uh, for instance, in Muslim countries, you'll see them, the first choice to rape is a Christian or a Jewish woman first, always first. And rape is a big issue uh, in Muslim countries. It's a huge issue. and But the first one they seek to do. But see, in Islam, if you rape a Westerner or a Jew, a Christian or a Jew, you're not committing rape. That's part of the, you're winning jihad. You're winning the war, man. And people say, well, that doctor that was on the radio he didn't sound like he was doing anything like that. In fact, he kept saying over and over and over, look, we're nice people. These other people doing these things, we don't want anything to do with them. They're not, you know, we don't even know what they're following. But if they went to ISIS and they stood up to them face to face and said, hey, you're not supposed to be doing this. You're, you're misinterpreting the Quran. Um, and they weren't committing uh, taqiyah. They weren't using lying for the advancement of Islam. They would absolutely be viewed immediately, instantly, as an apostate, and they would be killed. They would be killed. So as it relates to Sharia, even though it's it's an American law first, um, your proposal is, is very wise and, and makes total sense. Even though that's the case, I will say, uh, as the ninja pastor, I don't want Sharia anywhere in this country. But too late, it already is here. But the callers call in and, and they say... And they say, look, what have we to fear of Sharia? What difference does it make? Um, oh, my. I, I, don't, I don't understand. What difference does it make? If they want to have their own laws, why shouldn't they? Well, so each segment gets to pick their own laws. Wow. Sure. There's a united sure. country. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, you know, and, and we 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 uh, we take an oath to the Constitution, which they cannot do without lying. Um, you know, the the uh, guy said, "Look, there's there's many Muslims in the military. Concerns me deeply. Uh, there are over 935 Muslim police officers working uh, as outward Muslims in New York City. There are over 750 Muslims, we're told, in the city of Philadelphia." And they're serving. They're serving with us. The problem is they cannot, by the tenet of their own faith, by their own Quran, they cannot swear an allegiance to our Constitution. So when they do that oath in the military or as a police officer or as, even as a political uh, person, they can't do it without lying. Now, so my question to you is the next step for you, because I know you have to go and we have another guest coming on after you. The next step for you is what? What's the next step for you? 
uh, or maybe there's not another step. Maybe it's, hey, you know what? I'm going to let this just go uh, because, you know, it can't last forever. And I'll keep representing what what I believe is right for the constituency that I serve. And let that be that. Well, my next uh, move, or if you want to call it that, the plan is simply to uh, put this bill forward for sponsors, which I've got several sponsors already, and uh, move it toward committee again and see if we can get it on the floor for a vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so that's why. Just, and, yeah. Go ahead. I will continue uh, studying the the Quran, and so I have a better handle on it. And I I I really want to know more about it, and I'm doing that now. And uh, uh, certainly, I'm looking forward to the meeting with uh, Dr. Uh, Bakar and see what we can do. Because I I think there are those who are truly trying to change the concept and precepts of the Muslim faith. I think there are those that are saying, wait a minute, this is not the way to go. We cannot continue to act as we did 1,400 years ago. Right. And that's what's happening in those areas. And, and it's time for them to evolve and get be up here and be a... And there's a lot of them that want to be friendly and want to, want to just coexist. And I totally mm-hmm. agree with that effort. However, when it says you must rally the believers to fight for Allah. If you're a believer, you have no choice. If you say right. you're a Muslim, you have no choice. Well, it comes back to the math problem that I talked about. If only yes. 1% of this 1.5 billion are radicalized and uh, trouble, why can't the other 99% squash them like a bug? It doesn't seem like they have any intention to do so. Well, the reason why is because even if they said that, unless they were speaking from a point of taqiyah, they, lying for the advancement of Islam, they would be killed. So they're, they're caught in the middle, the ones that are trying to do it right. And, and I, I certainly empathize with them to a degree sure. yeah. that if they are trying to do it right, more power to them. But where is the mass to stand up and say, no, we've got to stop this? So, again, there's that the deceit or is it absolute where they are trying to do? I think that they have their, they're caught between a rock and a hard spot. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And in fact, we know stories in ISIS when they, um, you know, when they're, when they're sweeping through a country, they, you know, they're, they're committing uh, just incredible atrocities. I mean, we're talking about setting people on fire uh, live and put them in a cage and, and just light them on fire, douse them with gasoline, light them on fire. We're, we're talking about uh, putting people in a, a steel cage and, and dunking them until they drown. We're talking about cutting people's heads off, throwing people off the building, uh, burying them to their shoulders and stoning them, uh, burning them with acid, you know, all of the other things that go on. These are key parts of Islam. And so when they are traveling through these places and, and they want uh, complete and total adherence to Islam, they will kill whoever they have to kill who stands in their way. But they will also kill, and we've, we've seen many, many cases of this, where the ISIS fighter says, look, you know, I'm tired. I just don't want to do this anymore. You know, all this cutting people's heads off is wearing me out. I've got carpal tunnel from all of it. Uh, well, guess what? They're next. The blade will be laid to their neck because they are an apostate. They are weak in the eyes of Allah which uh, they are not the same God. Allah, we do not worship the same 
God. That is not the same person uh, by any stretch. And so anyway, well, look, I know you have to go and we have another guest coming on. And uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to explain to us what happened. Most of what you said, uh, you know, we we haven't even uh, we haven't even heard it. Uh, it's just been the narrative has been so narrowly presented and, and it's always that way. I remember protecting people and and I would be literally four feet away from them. They'd be at NBC or CNN or one of these other places. And they would absolutely, I would hear the whole interview, but when the interview played on television, it didn't remotely look like what I had just been four foot away and heard. Didn't, didn't, didn't nothing like it at all. So uh, we know that they will twist. And I want you to know that we absolutely are behind you here at the Collision of Faith and Politics. Um, everywhere I speak and preach, I tell people, pray for Dave Lawson. He needs your prayers. Uh, we need to support him. And then we have people from all over the country, and in fact, all over the world, uh, from Ohio, who are saying thank you from Ohio for standing up. Thank you from New York for standing up. Uh, there are people listening right now in Belgium, Germany, uh, France, Spain, Ukraine, uh, actual retired Special Forces officer from the United States, um, listening lives there. Uh, thank you for standing up because it, it takes some personal fortitude, some intestinal fortitude to do it. And I appreciate you doing it and they will ridicule you, but we are behind you and we won't, uh, we will not leave your side. Absolutely not. Well, Sean, I can say that I received phone calls from the majority of the states. My goodness, New York, Alabama, Mississippi, Mississippi, Missouri, Wisconsin, Oregon, it has just been phenomenal, the support. And I thank you so much for that. And I thank all of them. It, and I tried to call most of them back. I haven't gotten to all of them, but I certainly uh, want them to know how much I appreciate their support. And uh, I will continue doing what I believe is best. If the people no longer think that I'm doing a good job and they, they don't need me there anymore, I would really like to go fishing. There you go. Maybe I'll go fishing okay. with you. You'll have to teach me how to fish, but I'll go fishing with you. <laughs> well, brother, thank, thank you so you. much thank for you very coming much on, for Senator friendship. Lawson. It's my pleasure. Right. Take good care and be safe. So there you have it, Senator Dave Lawson. Uh, and and uh, couldn't meet a nicer guy. I'm telling you, I've known the guy a long time. He is truly a fair person. Uh, he is a thinking man. He thinks before he speaks. And now you hear the rest of the story. Didn't quite look like it, just like United Airlines. Uh, you know, it would go on and on and on about, my goodness, the guy pays for a seat, he should have a seat. And he shouldn't be dragged off. This could happen to anybody, you know. And I kept telling people, listen, hold on now. Slow down, Slam Dancer. There is more to the story than what you are being told. You are being lied to. Uh, this man, first of all, is not a good person on this aircraft. Second of all, it was the second time he'd been on. He'd already been escorted off, and he ran back on. And then he's on the phone calling a lawyer saying, you know, get ready to sue United Airlines uh, and, and other stuff. And I put the I put the the, the, the tape up on my um, Facebook, facebook.com backslash SM Greener, or just look for the Ninja Patch or whatever to be on there. Um, look, people, read it. Read. Don't just look at the headline and react to that. You got to read and you got to wait a few days before reacting, because what most often, who's the first one? Listen, a, an act of terrorism happens. Guess what happens next? Guess what happens next? The very first thing, and, and you guys know this is true. Very first thing they do, well, them darn Christians, 
them darn Christians, man, they, they, uh, my goodness, they, they're terrible people. Probably the Tea Party probably did it. Probably religious, white religious, it could have been, the, could have been those white religious extremists. And it's absolutely ridiculous. So you got to wait a few days. You got to wait a few days. You got to wait for all this stuff to come out because here's what's happened. The press outlets, the, the news outlets, I don't want to call them press outlets. The news outlets, they get a story and what do they do? What do they do? Well, what they do is they immediately, they immediately uh, become, uh, and, and I guess maybe it's just a marketing thing for them. Uh, they want to be popular, you know, don't we all? Uh, they want to be popular. And so what they do is they say, hey, you know what? Uh, this is what happened, and we're appalled. You know, we're appalled. We don't know if there's more to it or not, but, you know, I don't know. It looks pretty bad. Right? And they kind of grimace. They make the face and, um, you know, they, they kind of go on and on and they say, oh, yeah, well, uh, it looks like some more stuff is coming out. So what do they do? That first part, you understand, and it's the same way Islam works. Listen, you need to understand that, that these people are working you over and they don't you they're not going to tell you they're working you over. They're working you over. Make no mistake about it. They are. So they get that first big story, that first big headline. Boom. You know, stuff goes viral. This guy's the video is going viral. And, and he's getting dragged down. He's got a bloody face. His glasses are askew. So you think, oh, this poor guy, they're beating on this guy because they were overbooked. First of all, that's not what happened. Go to Facebook.com backslash SM Greener. Look me up. Go on there. If I, I, I usually have over 5,000 5, friends, so you have to click on follow. You click on follow. You can read everything on there. Read that article. Read the article by the pilot's wife. Read it. Read the whole thing. First, first of all, this guy was due a, a butt kicking even before this happened. Once you read about him, you'll see. Well, so, well that, that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't matter. A lot of good people tell me, man, that shouldn't matter. That shouldn't matter. This guy was a sexual abuser, that he was trading sex for drugs, and that he was pressuring a guy into having sex with him in order to give him drugs, prescription drugs, illegally. He eventually hired the guy as part of the, the whole deal. And the guy eventually had to leave and say, look, I, I can't do this anymore. This guy's this guy's awful. We say, well, you're gay bashing. No, I'm not gay bashing. It has nothing to do with the dude being with a dude. It has nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. So that's the big struggle. That's the big struggle, right? So you hear that first big pop. You hear that first big story, and you're like, oh, aghast. You know, right? Everybody is. Everybody is, folks. Everybody is. We, we see that and we are like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Why would somebody do that? Why would the airlines? Those airlines are terrible. Right? Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. So here's the thing you got to understand. You got to understand. Please, 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 please understand. 
that it's all designed to make them money and to move their agendas needle. Bottom line, that's what they're about. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. So, so here is the deal. Here's the deal. That next story that comes out, once the truth starts to come out, do you ever hear the news outlets going, you know what? We kind of screwed the pooch on this one. We're really sorry. I know that's a Navy term. Uh, I'm, we're really sorry. Gosh, we shouldn't have probably posted everything until we found everything out. And we weren't really doing anything wrong. Because, you know, I mean, you know, we're just trying to get the news out there and let you decide. We report, you decide, but they're not reporting, right? Because the news outlets, the, 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 uh, these entertainment outlets, you, you, this money-making enterprise outlet, do you know what they're doing? They're making money. They're trying to move the agenda needle. It's not about giving you the truth. It's never been about giving you the truth. It is all about moving the agenda needle. So what do they do? What do they do? Well, bottom line is they'll report what they report as they report it, and they'll be watching their ratings all along the way. Well, how's this being received? How's that being received? Right? And so once it comes out, hey, you know what? This is messed up. We, this was not, uh, we didn't really, we didn't really do a good job, right? It's the Hegel theory. We didn't really do a good job on this. We, we, uh, no, they don't say that. They say, well, it's come out now. It's just surfaced. What you need to understand is those news outlets have the whole video. They probably have 30 or 40 versions of the video, start to finish, these cell phone videos from all the people with their phones filming this as it's happening. You've also got people in the terminal by the, you know, by the gate talking about, you know, oh man, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a viral video. I'm going viral. So they video all this exchange outside of the plane, right? And these, they all want to be superstars. They all want to be, you know, internet sensations overnight. They all want to be viral video people. So they send it. So they have all these and they've watched all of them. They've seen them all, every single one, every single second of every single one they've seen them. So they know what the real story is, but they don't want you to know what the real story is. What they want you to do is to tune in and react. They want you to tune in and react. They don't want anything to do with the truth. It's never been their deal. It has never been their deal. It's all about ratings. And it's all about moving the needle. So here's what happens. Once they come out, they've uh, they've um, disavowed. You know, they're, they're not pushing any sort of uh, agenda. They're not doing any of those things. They're just reporting as it comes in. But they're lying. And the reason they're lying is because simply and completely, they want to make money. And they've had all the videos all along. You say, now hold on a second. That doesn't make any sense at all. 
wouldn't that get them into trouble? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they be in trouble? Wouldn't they, uh, I don't understand. It's, 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 how can they do that? They're not allowed to do that, right? Oh, they can say anything they want. They're not bound. Look, if you think that they have morality in the press, you're wrong, my friends. You are wrong. That just isn't how it works. That's how none of this works. You you think that they are sitting there wringing their hands like, mm, gosh, we should really put this out. All of this, we should do it right now. Well, yeah, but look, we're going to get in the, we're going to be really up front. We're going to be up front. We're going to be, we're going to be well known. The ratings are going to be incredible. It's going to be awesome. We can work this for two weeks. And so all the talking heads, which now include social media, all the talking heads start talking. This poor guy, you know, geez, man. But for the grace of God, there go I. I you know, I don't like the airlines either. And you know what? In fairness, I don't. I've got lots of friends that are pilots on major airlines. I've got lots of friends who are gate agents, who, who do other things, baggage. The whole deal. I know people in the, in the industry uh, very, very well, and they're good people. And they work hard. They, they work hard. Their industry is very messed up. No offense, but the impact of unions. I talk about it in Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. I talk about it in my book. And I explain to you, listen, this is, you know, this is why you cannot look at this on the surface. You can't look at it on the surface because unions have kind of made things uh, very complex and impossible to, to, to have it go smoothly and efficiently. It's just by its very design, it's not going to do that. Because of all of the employee-centric things, you say, well, these poor people, you know, they keep losing their jobs. Well, guess what? Back back in the day, back in the day, they got, they got paid, yes, they got paid a little bit less, but guess what? They're a lot more work, a lot more people flying. Tickets are much less now. Look, riding an airplane is just like riding a bus now. Anybody can afford it. it. Used to be a really big thing. Used to really be a big thing. Uh, my friend from Ohio, Steve, uh, RN from uh, from Ohio, better to be first than right, and that is the call. That is the call. Better first than right. That's the press's clarion call. Man, look, man, I just got to get out there. If it bleeds, it leads. What's the problem with that? Social media builds a momentum like the snowball going down the big hill. And before long, that thing can't be stopped. You remember the uh, the guy who was accused when the Olympics were in Atlanta, the Summer Olympics were in Atlanta, and the security guard was accused, the American security guard was accused of setting off that bomb? That guy's whole life was ruined. Nobody ever issued him an apology. Nobody did. Nobody said, hey, man, we're sorry. But as my buddy says, we keep forgiving the media because it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. We keep forgiving the media and keep putting power in them. And, and the thing is, 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 is we do it. We do it on the conservative side. We're the worst. Because as I look at, at my reach, you know what the publicists call, publicists call my reach, you know, the Facebooks and the, and the Twitters and the LinkedIn and all that stuff and the YouTube. They, they tell me, they say, hey, you know, but something something gains some momentum, man. Look out. It will not calm down until 
it nobody's listening. It's just like they the newspapers, the old style newspaper, they'll print a big headline. 48 dot pitch uh point point uh big giant letter headline. Some terrible, terrible thing. It's untrue, and they know it when they print it. And then uh, two weeks later, three weeks later, when the Fuhrers died down, the person's life is ruined. Guess what happens? Well, they'll print a retraction. And it'll be tiny, tiny dot six point pitch, tiny, tiny print. Couldn't even barely read it. And that person's life is ruined. And what was page one is now page 43 inside the fold. Nobody even sees it. They hide it. Why are they still in existence? You tell me. Because the American public has a, an insatiable appetite for reality TV. Uh, it, it's just like when you uh, you see all these people on this plane whip out their phones and start videoing. It's insane. It's insane. And young people nowadays, they'll watch a kid get beat to death and film it with their cell phones. They won't help them. We'll just let them die. Well, I know I know a young lady by the name of India. I'm not going to say her last name. I don't want to say her last name on the radio. Uh, but she is an amazing young lady. And she wrote a poem. Uh, this piece is spoken word piece. It's nine minutes long. And I'm telling you, you're going to love this. This is going to rock you. I want you to listen to every word. Let's get India on the line. India, how are you, young lady? See if we can get a better connection that rut row. We can't hear you. Tell you what, let's do. Check and make sure your mute's not on by accident. All right. Well, I'll keep talking. Then when you hear me, you just perk up when you can hear me. Can, cannot hear you. I'm gonna send the message here. Cannot hear you. Yeah, still something wrong there. Let's try to call back in and see if we can't get a better uh, better connection or maybe try a different phone. How about that? Let's try a different phone. So so let me just tell you real quick about India. This is what I know. She's been in my home. Uh, we had a constitution class uh, here, and, uh, and she and her father came. It was absolutely amazing to meet this young lady. She's homeschooled, extremely intelligent, very, very intelligent young lady, uh, really quite something. And... Uh, I was privileged to host a class in, in my home, and she happened to come. That's the first time I met her, I believe. And then I've seen her at other events. And then the other day, I'm at a Delaware Family Policy Council um, deal, and, um, man, I'll tell you what. This girl spoke, and I was blown away, and I said, my goodness, my goodness. This is worth hearing. This is worth hearing. Um, and... Uh, I have to say, I can't wait for you to hear it. She's trying another phone. There was a problem with the phone she was on. Um, but this kid's going places. I'm telling you right now, this is this is absolutely uh, going to be one of those things that you don't forget it, and uh, you will be you'll be proud. She's might not be your daughter or your sister, but you'll be proud. India, how are we doing now? Uh oh. Yep. Yeah, we're trying. We're trying to get her on the right phone so you can hear her because this, like I say, it's a nine-minute poem. And uh, let's see. Let's see. Do we have a try landline? I don't even know if kids know what a landline is. I don't know. Here we go. Let's try this one. 
How about Hello? now? There we go. Can you hear me now? Oh, that's yes, good. Yes, I can. Awesome. India, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 17. 17 years old, and you are homeschooled? I am, yes. That is awesome. So before you deliver your awesome, awesome speech uh, with great power and conviction, tell me what you want to do when you finish uh, school. What's what's the next thing for you after this? Well, the plan for now is I would like to work in local government, and I'm also interested in music, so I would also like to teach piano. But my stronger interest is working in local government. No way. That's awesome. That You know what? We need that. You know that, right? We need that. We need good people like you yeah. at a young age to get into the process, to learn the process, uh, to learn about effective self-governance. It's what we teach in the Center for Self-Governance is, is, uh, is how to do that. And we need good citizens to get in and get engaged. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a big, big deal. Well, I'm, I'm proud of you. And you're not even my daughter, but I'm proud of you. And, uh, and you. I think it's awesome, awesome what you're doing. So, okay, so what, what I would like you to do is I would like you to deliver this speech. And then after the speech, I want to ask you a few questions. Okay. So you go whenever you're ready. And remember, you have to right. speak up because it's your own cell phone. Okay. As the 19th century dawned, two countries nursed their wounds from their bloody revolutions. Both nations experienced abuse under the unrestrained power of a few, and they strained at their chains that finally exploded in battle. They fought for freedom, the freedom to grow, to prosper, to act as they pleased without oppressive restrictions. Both countries embodied these ideals of liberty in a document, a constitution that they said would govern their society. However, these societies that shared similar beginnings experienced drastically different endings. One country, the nation of France, quickly relapsed as her government crumbled and her society disintegrated. Ultimately, France lost the freedom that she had fought so hard to gain to a dictator, Napoleon Bonaparte. And the other country? In only two and a half centuries, this country, the United States of America, has become one of the greatest countries this world has ever known. Why did these two nations, each with promising constitutions, have such contrasting destinies? It is because constitutions of three peoples can only function in a certain type of society. The citizens of the United States from its inception until recently created that optimal environment for its constitution to operate in its full capacity. French citizens, however, destroyed the capacity for their constitution to flourish when they made a conscious effort to eradicate religion from their society. The 19th century French political writer Alexis de Tocqueville illustrated this contrast in his book, Democracy in America, when he wrote, quote, In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom pursuing courses diametrically opposed to each other. But in America, I found that they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country, end quote. The secret to the success of our Constitution is the respect for religion that permeated our society. 
John Adams explained why this is so when he said, quote, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. End quote. In light of this fact, it is our duty as citizens to cultivate the environment in which our Constitution can thrive by maintaining our respect for religion. The framers of our Constitution, schooled by the memories of their ancestors' persecutions, endeavor to make this country protect religious liberty with the first two clauses of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. But even these safeguards are not invulnerable to attacks from America's citizens. If we as citizens lose our respect for religion, then we will also lose the success of our Constitution. We must recognize that fact and maintain the respect for religion that has guided our nation's success thus far. America's historical regard for religious liberty was birthed from her ancestors' tumultuous experience in Europe's furnace of persecution. In Europe, those whose consciences prevented them from following the mandates of the church government were fiercely persecuted. Several of these persecuted groups, the most famous being the English separatists or pilgrims, traveled to America to establish colonies and escape this persecution. Later, when England tightened her grip on these colonies, they joined forces, overthrew the English government, and established a new nation, the United States of America. As this nation wrestled through the process of establishing a government, they addressed the question of how to approach religion in America. The memory of their forefathers' persecution in Europe prompted them to make America a place of religious liberty, and this desire was codified in the First Amendment. Not all of America's founders were sincere adherents to an established religion, as Alexis de Tocqueville remarked, quote, I do not know whether all the Americans have a sincere faith in their religion, for who can search the human heart? But I am certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions, end quote. This religious influence that guided America's founding permeated her entire society, Research shows that America's public schools included instruction in moral and religious training as the core of their curriculum, and the success of this method was reflected in the high academic achievement of those early schools. According to First Principles Press, the military was required to uphold a high standard of moral conduct, and its leaders regularly led the soldiers in corporate prayer. That same military became almost invincible, winning all of its wars until 1953. In general, America's citizens unashamedly espoused and observed religion in their society, and as a result, their nation excelled among the nations in the world. America's open espousal of religion has changed in recent years. United States citizens are now targeting each other for observing religious practices. These next few examples of this hostility from the Liberty Institute's research barely scratch the surface. 
Many have been forbidden from proclaiming religious messages that they hold so dear, such as high school valedictorians who have been forbidden from using certain religious themes or phrases in their class speeches. This hostility that people display toward hearing religious sentiments extend even to historical traditions. That patriotic song, God Bless America, written in 1918 and sung ever since, was deemed offensive in a high school in Massachusetts. The American Legion fought to preserve a World War I memorial from another organization that found it offensive because it contained a cross. This paranoia toward religion has become so heated that even private expressions of religion are melting under its blaze. Cadets were forced to remove scriptural passages from their personal whiteboards. A football coach was suspended for engaging in silent prayer after games. A fifth grader was reprimanded for reading his Bible during free reading time in an elementary school. Religion has fallen from its high place of regard in American society, and instead it is being trampled underfoot. The very safeguards in the Constitution that were erected to protect religious expression have been twisted into weapons against religious liberty. If the key to our Constitution's success is suffering an all-out assault, how can we expect our society to continue to thrive? Should we be surprised that our educational standards have fallen and illiteracy has increased drastically since the Bible was removed from the classroom in the 1960s? Should it shock us that since that same time our violent crime rates have increased by over 500%? Is our astonishment over the decrease in our military's effectiveness valid when we see its subsequent decrease in its morality? This research from various sources should not surprise us. After all, as the author of the first American dictionary, Noah Webster, stated, quote, All miseries and evils which men suffer from, vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war, proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible, end quote. If these alarming trends continue, we will fulfill that chilling prophecy attributed to Alexis de Tocqueville. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. As the 19th century dawned, two countries nursed their wounds from their bloody revolution. One barely recovered from battle before she was again subjected under the yoke of the oppressor. The other still waves her stars and stripes proudly as she proclaims that she is the land of the free and the home of the brave. But let us as citizens of this great country fight the urge to rest on our laurels and relish in our success thus far. I hope that you have seen from our Constitution's history and from the corollary between the merciless assault on our religious liberty and the gradual disintegration of our society that religion is the key to our Constitution's success. Let's derive our duty to our Constitution from those wise words by John Adams. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the governments of any other. Thank you. Man, that was awesome. Great job. If I had the applause button, I would be hitting it really hard right now. <laughs> hey, uh, so you. what? why did you write that? What, what motivated this? 
Well, I was participating in a speech competition, an oratorical competition, and the topic for that competition was what was our duty as American citizens to our Constitution. And so I wrote that speech to answer that question for this competition. Wow. it's That's awesome. It, it's even better this time. Now, folks, I got to hear it uh, in a small room, uh, the Delaware Family Policy Council had a, uh, a meeting, and so I attended the meeting, and, uh, and this young lady was there, and, you know, she helps out with stuff. She's very politically involved. She uh, puts her time where her mouth is, and she gets in there and gets after it. And so, you know, then I found out at the end of the meeting why she was there. She gave this speech. It's even better this time. So, so folks, um, I want you to pray for India uh, and, and just pray for her as she moves forward with this speech. And, and this is, this is, look, when I, when I start to think there's no hope for America, all I have to do is, is look at young ladies like India and say, you know, there's, there's, there's hope. Uh, the Patriot Academy that uh, a couple of weeks ago, my good friend Rick Green was on and, and uh, he does the Patriot Academy all across the country. When I look at the kids that come from the Patriot Academy uh, day, you know, the, the last day, you see them the first day, it's their first time there. And then you see them the last day of their first time there. And you're, you just are transformed and you say, Hey, you know what? We need to get as many kids as we can into this, uh, in, into this Patriot Academy because it's, it's a game changer and we need young people to be plugged in. You know, a lot of these meetings that I'm invited to come speak to, I love being there because they're nice people and, and they're, they're patriots and they've lived a good life and, and they want to see our country uh, prosper and, and continue to do well. The problem is, is they're mostly elderly folk. And I love elderly people. I really, really do. Um, I, am, um, I, I have great respect for them. However, we as a people, if you want to be free 20 years from now, you had better be recruiting 17-year-old young ladies who want to go into politics and stand behind them and help uh, pray them through and support them in any way that you can to, to take these roles, to prepare themselves and then to take these roles. You've, you've got an 80, what is he, 80 years old, uh, Senator McCain in in Congress and, and uh, or in the Senate. He, he, I mean, this guy is, is just somewhere else. He's, he's somewhere else. And it's not to say that a, um, that's not to say that a, an older person can't be great at what they do and be a great, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's, it's not an ageism thing. However, if we want to have a, a good America, we have got to search high and low for young people like India so that we can support them and drive them forward, push them across the finish line because they're going to be what we depend on to save America. And that's a fact. India, I so appreciate you sharing that with our audience. And I wonder when's the next time that you're supposed to deliver that? Probably in July. July. Awesome. Well, we will continue to pray and my audience will continue to pray for you. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come deliver the speech here. I'm very proud of you. You did a great job. And please, please extend my appreciation to your family because I know you had to ask permission, um, rightly so. And we really, we really appreciate it. No doubt about it. Take good care, young lady. Thank and you. we're, we're very proud right. of you and we're praying you through. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure.
So there you have it. There's something for you to, uh, and she wrote that speech. I mean, this is, you know, this is not something she read somewhere. She wrote it. And I think that's, that's the big, big deal. That's the really big deal. Um, and, and, and it's important. It's really important to find a way to connect with these people that are doing these great things, these young people. Uh, find a way. And then we have the other side of the spectrum. We have a guy that's retired, uh, Dave Lawson, Senator Dave Lawson, serving. This guy's given it all he's got. And you know what? Most of the people on the right have been very reticent to support him. And that's a problem. That's a huge problem, a really, really, really big problem. And so we've got to do better. We have got to do better about that. A couple things I want to tell you really quick. TheLogOx.com. TheLogOx.com. If you are a person who cuts wood or burns wood uh, in your home for energy, now is the time that you need to be identifying your wood to cut. And so TheLogOx.com is going to save your back. So go to the TheLogOx.com. They're three-in-one tool. Uh, All-American made, veteran-run company. And uh, they're great people. I know them very, very well. If you go there and you buy the three-in-one tool, which is very inexpensive to start with, if you put the Ninja Pastor in the checkout, uh, we want to help them any way we can. We want American good, veteran American businesses to get a good start. Um, but maybe you're not a woodcutter, but maybe you know a woodcutter that you want to give a nice gift to. This is a great gift. This is an excellent gift. Go to thelogox.com. When you check out with the three-in-one tool, type in the Ninja Pastor, and you will absolutely see um, a, an immediate 20 Five dollar discount, and it's already very inexpensive. I don't know how they sell the thing for what they do. So then there, there is also a second call defense. Look, every, you guys know I've carried a gun professionally since 1983. Um, I am nowhere without my gun, and the fact of the matter is, because that is the case, and because I own guns and have them in my home, second call defense is something I will never be without. If you go to the Ninja Pastor. Dot com, TheNinjaPastor.com. And at the bottom, you'll see the red banner, the second call defense banner. You click on that. It will automatically take you to the site. You can watch videos. They're all free. Nobody's going to spam you. What you want to do uh, is make sure you tell them uh, number 20630. Uh, if there's a spot to put that in, it should automatically take you to that. That will get you one month free on the Ninja Pastor. Or if you're a call by phone person, 877 502-3300. That's 877-502-3300. And then make sure you give them this number for a free first month, 20630. I'm telling you right now, I won't be without it. Um, it it's foolhardy to run around without that kind of protection because believe you me, uh, the, the, the left, even though President Trump, especially because President Trump is in office, they're going to want to take your guns. So you're going to have, have to have protection. But but that doesn't just protect against that. Look, we have the NRA and and, uh, and other organizations, National Association of Gun Rights and, and Second um, Second Amendment Foundation, all those great organizations. But this protects you if you have to use your gun. Even if you don't shoot someone, uh, they see your gun, maybe your shirt rides up in the grocery and you're reaching on the top shelf. Guess what? Then you find yourself in a situation where you're having to defend yourself. You could lose your job. Uh, you could lose your home, all of that. You say, well, I have homeowner's insurance. That specifically does not protect you. You say, well, I have the umbrella insurance. That specifically does not protect you. So it's super cheap. 
Um, it'd be cheap at twice the price, although I don't want them to raise the price, but you get a month free. Nobody's going to pressure you. They'll explain it to you. I'm real eager for you to take a look at it. So it's uh, theninjapastor.com at the bottom. Click on the banner and you get a month free. Uh, it's absolutely awesome. Listen, folks, you need to know it isn't about hate. It's about information. It's about being clear and concise in all that we do, knowing the facts, spreading the facts, pausing a little bit when something like this United Airlines thing comes up. Look, I'm no apologist for the airlines. I tra travel a lot, and I can tell you I'm, I'm not an apologist for them. But at the same time, when they're not wrong, they're not wrong. And when someone's not wrong, the time to kick them when they're down is not the time. Get all the information first. That's all I ask from you. Remember what that dear lady in Rowan County, Kentucky, went through when she wouldn't sign the uh, the marriage uh, license. Look at her first name is Kim. Look at what she went through. Look at what the cake bakers went through. You got to learn all the facts first before you condemn. Thank you for joining us today. We will be having an Easter broadcast, a live Easter broadcast, starting at 5:30 for the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. Please come and see us in Newark if you don't have a place to go. Uh, we will have plenty of food for you. It'll be great food. You don't have to dress up, nothing special. Just come and enjoy. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. And uh, contact me through the website, and we'll guide you in. We'll let you know how to get there. The last thing I have to say is this. I'm glad to be alive. Five years ago, uh, just a little bit ago, uh, right about now, I was getting cut out of the the vehicle. Well, a little bit, little bit after this, I was getting cut out of the vehicle and put on an ambulance, carried to the hospital. There are many, many people I have to thank. If I started with one, I, I, I know I'd forget somebody. But suffice it to say, all of you who brought us food, all of you who brought flowers and cards, and and um, just were so amazingly helpful, so wonderfully, and and so Christ-like in your love and your care. I, I want to thank you so much. It's so important for me to know that you understand how beautiful an act that you did from the simplest thing like amazing brownies to coming and sitting with me and reading me a book that you would never read under any circumstances for any reason, but just because that's what I wanted to hear while I was in bed. It means a lot to me, it means the world to me. And you know what? All along the way, I'm reminded of this. For whatever reason, God chose to keep me alive a little bit longer. And for that, I am ever grateful. Something sacred does indeed hang in the balance of every moment. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow dr sean on twitter at the ninja pastor and on facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash god in country radio and at www.drseangreener.com in the meantime dr sean will be fighting for you and for this great country Thank you for joining in this fight. <laughs>